we speak a lot around here about the the urgency for the gospel among our culture. We speak a lot about the downward, downward spiral that we see in our culture. We experience it. Many of you have sent college students off to college, and some of you ex have experienced it firsthand. A lot of our college kids are back for the uh, first weekend, and they've told testimonies of how their faith has been challenged over the last few weeks. We, we speak a lot of this because we know that everything from chewing gum to music is sold by ungodly messages. I mean, there's messages that will, in an attempt to sell a stick of gum that you kind of, you, you don't know whether to laugh or cry about if that's the requirement for selling a stick of gum. Chuck Colson stated this. He says that in 35 years of his prison ministry, the number of prisoners has gone from 229,000 to 2.3 million. Our, our culture is just out of control. If, if you watch the news for a few moments, I, I think you experience disgust and outrage at the things that people beside us do every day. We, we saw it, my wife and I saw a report just a while back, and I'm not even going to tell you to recount the story because it was just gruesome, but it, it disturbed me so much that I didn't watch the news for a few days. And just how far down everything's going. You know the statistics, you know the stories. You live the same place I do. And, you know, and on that note, as a way of promo, in a, a couple weeks, we, we've got a, a telecast conference here doing the right thing with Chuck Colson. How, how do you respond to the cultural dilemma that we're in? How do we respond in a way that's God-glorifying and God-exalting? How do we do that? And so I'd encourage you to be a part of that. So the, the question is not, is there a problem? That's, that's not the question. I think all of us in here would agree there is a problem. We experience it, we see it, we watch it, we struggle with it daily and weekly. That, that's not the question. The question is, is, is what is the answer to the problem? What is the answer? And, and the answer that, that we must come to is the gospel. The gospel is the answer, but where do we start? If the gospel is the answer, where do we start? Richard Baxter said this. He said, family reformation is the easiest and most likely way to a common reformation or at least to send many souls to heaven and train up multitudes for God if it reaches not to national reformation. Think about that just for a minute. That first phrase. He said, family reformation is the easiest and most likely way to a common reformation. These words were spoke, spoken in the 17th century. And they ring true today. The, the quickest way, if we want to see a national reformation, if we want to see our culture reformed, if we want to see it impacted, it has to start in our homes. It has to start in our houses. Listen, here's the truth. The breakdown that we see in society reflects the breakdown in our homes. It does. The, our, our society just reflects what's going on in our homes. And, and that's not a truth that we, that we like to admit, but, but if God is going to reign supreme in the United States of America, if he's going to reign as Lord, as king in this nation, he's got to reign as Lord and king in our homes. If he's going to reign as king of Grace Baptist, it has to start in the Meadows house and in your house. It has to begin there. So today we're going to get into Colossians 3, chapter, 20, or chapter 3, verse 20. Not chapter 20, we had not added that many verses to Colossians. So turn to Colossians 3. 
If you've been with us on Sunday nights, you know that Scott and I have been preaching through the book of Colossians. And I believe if my memory serves, serves correct, uh, maybe a month, four to six weeks ago, Scott actually preached a sermon in Colossians here on a Sunday morning. So some of you have not been in that. What it is is Colossians is, is a letter from Paul to a fairly young church. And he spends the first two chapters primarily uh, reinforcing and teaching doctrine. And the overall, overall theme of Colossians is the supremacy of Christ. In Colossians 1, you have one of the most beautiful descriptions of who Christ is and his supremacy over all things, over all creation, over everything, over salvation, over our lives, that Christ reigns supreme over all things. It's just a beautiful passage. If you, if you have not read that, I encourage you, read through Colossians 1 today. He moves on in chapters 3 and 4 to a practical application. In, in chapter 2, he warned them. He, he said, listen, here, here's the doctrine and here's the importance of the gospel. Here's what Christ has done in your life. And, and be wary, be concerned, watch yourself, guard yourselves for false philosophies and worldviews that creep in. Be, be aware of what's around you. And then he moves into a very practical aspect of the Christian life. He says, okay, if Christ reigns supreme, then put on the life of Christ. Put on godly living. Put off the way of sin in the beginning of chapter 3, put off sinful living, the deeds of the flesh, put those things away, lay them aside, and now live for God's glory. Put on godliness. Clothe yourselves with godliness. And he moves in verse 18 of chapter 3, and, and, and he begins speaking with, with marriage, with husbands and wives. And he, he says, Christ must reign supreme in your marriage. And our passage today moves to the family with children and fathers that Christ would reign supreme in the family. This is a, this is a section known as the household codes. And it's, this is not a, a distinct section or a distinct thing known among Christians. It's actually, it was spoken of a lot by ancient philosophers that they talked a lot about how do you live as a household? How do you function? What is the role of a mother? What's the role of a father? What's the role of the children? This was pretty common, but there is one very, very distinct feature of here. When, when Paul writes here in Colossians, he qualifies everything in the Lord. In the Lord is used seven times just in the nine verses from, from 3.18 to 4.1. The Lord, the Lord, the Lord, in the Lord, through the Lord, by the Lord, for the Lord, the fear of the Lord. Christ is central to the household codes. He's central to the way our families operate. Okay, he is Lord. He, he reigns as Lord. It's the basis. His lordship is the basis for the Christian home. So if my home and your home as believers is going to bring God glory and honor, then it's imperative that we seek and we serve Christ as Lord. One commentator said this. He said that Christ's lordship is like a magnet over iron filings, orienting things in the right direction. Many of you have seen this, students, children, you may have seen this where, where your teacher takes and drops a bunch of iron filings on the table and sits a magnet down in them. And when, it, when the magnet is placed into those iron filings, all the filings reposition to show north and south. It positions to show what, how, how the magnet is pulling everything. There, there's paintings done. In, in 1985, there was a, a painting done of, of Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher, the Iron Lady. So the idea was to, to do a painting of iron filings. And there's a picture, it, it's, it's remarkable. And it was simply done by putting iron filings and using magnets to orient them in a way that is a painting. 
for the Christian home, the lordship of Christ is that magnet. Christ's lordship orients everything that we do, everything that we say, the decisions we make. It orients us, uh, orients us to Christ, to the way God has called us to live. Let's read chapter 3, verse 20 and 21 together. Paul says this. He says, Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. We see right away that there's a, there's a dual responsibility in the home. Paul addresses children, and he addresses fathers. We all have a responsibility in the home. Children, can I see you? Hey, children, children, look at me. Look at me. Do you understand the importance here? That Paul does not say, hey, dad, tell your child this in this verse. In verse 18, he looks at you and says, Children, obey your parents. Obey your parents in the Lord. This is addressed to you. So, so kids, youth, when you come to passages like this, man, this should be a red flag that says, Hey, listen, right here, listen to this. Listen very carefully. This is a moment that God steps aside, and it's not a general, it's not, he's not just speaking to everybody, but he looks and he says, Hey, kids, Kids, let me talk to you just for a minute, okay? And I know you're not in children's church right now if you're speaking in here, but this is a passage that's spoken directly to you. So listen very carefully. The, the youth are sitting here going, oh my gosh, not again. Are you kidding? We have to hear this. We're, we're in a four-week series right now on Wednesday nights. It's called Glorifying God at Home. So we spent two weeks in, in Ephesians 6, 1 through 3, talking about obedience and honor. And I even gave them a heads up Wednesday. I said, listen, we're, we're going to be back there again Sunday. But, but the neat thing is this, that, that I didn't map this out all over. I was actually planning on preaching on Ezra. And I, I couldn't. Every time I turned to Ezra, it, it just escaped me. I, God was just saying, no, no, come back. Because God's providence says, listen, I, I've lined it up. I've lined it up. You're doing a, a, a message, a series with the youth on godly living at home. Let's turn as a church to that. Let's turn to the church. This is where we've come in this series on Colossians. The, you know, the, the eight-week series that started back in March. That's <laughs> going a lot longer. God's providence just works that out, right? God is an awesome God that we would come to this point together. And so, youth, you're just going to have to hear a few things again, right? So, so right away, he starts here. He, he starts by saying, children. This word is... It's important, it's, it's kind of sad that we even have to make reference to this and, and clarify, but this word in the Greek, techna, has no age distinction in it. I talked to the youth about that because a lot of times the students say, I can't wait until I turn 18, and you'll have a senior in high school that turns 18, and they go, oh, I'm 18 now, I'm an adult. And it's like, really? Because you're acting the same as you did a while ago, you know? I, I didn't realize, you know, and their parents are going, all right, you're an adult, see you later, you know? <laughs> you can start earning a living and doing all that stuff and providing for other people. Okay. So there's no age distinction here. There's none at all. It doesn't say children under the age of 16. This isn't a word used for small children. It's used for any child that's under the care and provision of parents. 
That means if you're 25 and at home under the care and provision of your parents, you're being talked to. So children, obey your parents. Obey your parents. Be obedient, he says. This has to do with your actions. We've talked a lot about that with the youth, that obedience deals with your actions. Honor deals with your attitude. Be obedient. Literally, that word here means to hear under. To hear under. That, that children, kids, you're supposed to listen to your parents because you're under their authority. You're under their authority. They are responsible for you. They lead you. Kids, listen to me really quick. Okay? Your responsibility at home is to obey and honor your parents. To obey and honor your parents. This is, this is your number one responsibility. Do you want to make God's name great? Do you want to, do you want to declare his name at, in your neighborhood, among your friends? Then show obedience to your parents. Show obedience to your parents. Demonstrate that. Because why? Because it's pleasing to the Lord. Listen, your motivation, what motivates you to do that? A pack of M&Ms? A blow pop? A new pair of Reeboks? No. Your motivation to obey mom and dad is not what you get out of it. Kids, your motivation to obey mom and dad is because the Bible says it brings pleasure to the Lord. A lot of you have memorized Psalm 19, 1, that the, that the heavens declare the work of God. It, it declares the majesty. And we see, we look up and we see the, the stars in the sky. We see the, the grandeur of creation. We see how great and awesome it is. It declares how awesome God is that he created everything. You, you learn that in Sunday school and a lot of your, your parents are teaching that, you that at home. That God created all things. This God who's holy and he's everlasting, he's eternal. This God, it says, is pleased, kids, when you obey mom and dad. When you obey mom and dad. It's pleasing to God. Second, he addresses fathers in verse 21. He addresses fathers. So instantly, a lot of the moms in here go, Whew, all right, it's the verse we've been waiting to get to, right? The, the word here is pater, pater. It's actually used in Hebrews eleven twenty three 23 as parents. It can, it can be translated as parents or father. Primarily, it is, it is used as father. And the important thing here is that Paul uses a, a different word. The way we know that it's not parents here is that he uses a different word from the one he uses for parents in verse 20. Okay? So, so parent, or children, you're to obey both parents. You're to obey both of them. That means that your mom, mothers, you give instruction. You instruct them. You, you tell them. You lead them as well. But fathers, you have a distinct and an important role according to God's word. He addresses specifically fathers. Why does he do this? Why does he do this? So, some people would say, well, you know, dads, they tend to be more harsh. They have a, a greater tendency to, to, to be really hard on them and to come in with the belt and all those things. They're, they're not as loving. They're not as in touch with their emotions or the emotions of their children. That, you know, in some ways, in many ways, in many homes, that is true. You know, men, men tend to be a little more firm, not, not quite as emotional, right? That we tend to be that way. Mothers tend to have that mothering nature. 
But listen, there's a much, much more important and a much more biblical reason that Paul addresses fathers here. A much more important reason. It's because in Scripture, God establishes fathers as the head of the family. Dads, men, husbands, you are the head of your family. You cannot avoid this in Scripture. No matter how many ways you want to reread it, no matter how many ways you want to try to reinterpret it and abuse Scripture, you cannot avoid the fact that dads are the leaders of their homes. Think about Genesis. Genesis 1.27. God creates male and female in his image. Right? We understand there's an equality there. There, there is an equality between men and women. That we're both equally important, we're both equally image bearers of God. But then you move on to Genesis 2. Why was Eve created? Why? He explains why. Genesis 2, 21 to 24. Eve is created as what? A helper. God looks upon creation of all the animals made, and he looks and says, there's no suitable helper here for Adam. No suitable helper. So Eve is created. And what does Adam do? What does Adam do? Hey God, what should I name her? No. Adam names her. Adam names her. How do you name something? Why? Because you are head over it. Responsibility over that person. We see from the beginning. Now, now fast forward one more chapter. Genesis 3. What happens? The fall, sin. Who took the apple? Who did Satan deceive? Eve. That's right. Eve. Are you women? Yeah, that's right. You know the problem with me rejoicing over that would be? Who does God come calling? Does Adam walk out? I mean, does God walk out and say, Eve, get over here? Why did you deceive your husband? No, he doesn't. Who does God come calling? Adam. He says, Adam, what have you done? Adam. Where, where was Adam when all this happens? Apparently, he's probably right there. He didn't ask her. What did he say? Are you sure Satan said that? A lot of, we don't know for certain, but a lot of commentators would say, listen, he was probably standing right there watching the whole thing, being passive. I don't want to get in the way. It's Eve's decision. Good one, Adam. Right? And so, so God comes and he holds Adam responsible. Men, you are the head of your house. You are responsible. You are the leader. You're the provider. You're the protector of your home. It doesn't matter how capable your wife is. A professor of at Southern says this. He says, listen, I don't care if your wife has a black belt in every martial arts you know. If a robber breaks in and kicks down your door, you don't go, hey, honey, go take care of it. <laughs> right? No man would do that. If you do, then you've totally shirked your responsibility. You walk down there, and you may get killed, but then she can take care of business. But you do all you can to protect, because that's your role, protect, provide, and lead your family. Scripture is clear on that all throughout. Colossians 
3, 18 and 19. Ephesians 5, 22 to 33 clearly distinguishes the roles of men and women. It does not look and say, women, you are a lesser being. There's nowhere in Scripture that does that. It never looks and says men are more important. But it says, listen, men and women are created equally, equally as image bearers of God, equally responsible for sin. But men, you are the head of the household. You are to love your wives sacrificially. You are to die for them if necessary. You are to nurture them and care for them. Women, you are to submit to your, to your husbands. <clears throat> As Scott said a few weeks ago, it doesn't say submit to every man walking around. It says submit each one to your husband. Men, if you have a problem with that, if you look and go, I wish you would submit, the problem is likely because you're not leading as Christ has called you to lead. If I lead in a Christ-like manner, Steph has no problem submitting to me. It starts with us, men. I, you know, I, I don't know why God has set up our brain the way he set it up and why you remember some things and not others. My, my parents were in town this weekend. I was thinking through one of my earliest childhood memories. And I, I can't remember how old I was. Maybe Dad can tell me this afternoon when we get home. But as best I can gather, I, was, I had to have been just maybe three or four. This could be why I remember it is it traumatized me. But Dad, Dad took me down to the chicken coop to cut the heads off of chickens, right? And I remember what happens when a chicken loses its head. It, it goes crazy. It doesn't just flop. It goes all over the place. It's crazy. And what does it do then? It dies. Listen, make no mistake about it. Satan is not an idiot. He knows exactly what he's done. To come in and intentionally, methodically, cut the head off of the families. When the head the family's removed. The family goes crazy. It's in disarray. It does not bring God glory. And ultimately dies. If we want to see our nation reformed, then our families must be reformed. Men, if you want to see your family grow in godliness, then stand up and be the man that God has called us to be. I can't look at Steph and say, listen, you're around the kids more than I am. What's their problem? I can't do that. Why? Because it's my responsibility to lead my family. How is the head removed in the family? Think about the feminist movement. Think about the feminization of the church. Think about how many men just sit back and are passive and let their wives do everything. Why? is the family in disarray. Because we, I say we, men have lost sight of what God has called us to do. Man, may we not do that. May we stand up and be men. As I said earlier, this does not excuse mothers. I mean, look at Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, or, or look at Psalm 78, where both parents are called to teach and instruct their children. It does not excuse mothers, but men. Stand up and be the leader. Stand up and be the leader. Look at, look at your sons. Your sons just walk right in your footsteps. 
Braden walks right in my footsteps. And I love it. I love it. But it scares me to death sometimes. What a privilege you have, men. What a privilege. What a responsibility to be a man of God. So what is his instruction? His instruction, men, is do not exasperate your child. Do not exasperate your child. This is a word we use every day, right? Exasperate. Yeah. What does it mean? It means, it means to stir up or to provoke, to stimulate. It's only used two times all, in all of the New Testament. It's used two times. The other place is in 2 Corinthians 9-2 where it's used positively. It's used in, in, talking and referring to stimulating others in the body. But here it's negative. Why? How do we know it's negative? Because the result of it is that children lose heart. He, said, he says, don't provoke them. Do not embitter them. It can be translated, some of your Bibles may say that, may say provoke or embitter. Do not provoke your children to the point that they lose heart. Don't, don't, don't exasperate them. Don't provoke them. Lose heart just simply means to, to be without courage or spirit, to, to become spiritless. Don't, don't be so harsh on your child that they lose heart. They lose their spirit. They lose their willingness to obey. There, there's a book we have in the book note called The Faithful Parent. It's written by a guy named Stuart Scott. If you've read this verse over and over and you've gone, I don't really exasperate. How do I know if I'm exasperating my child? He has a chapter in there that's worth it for you, parent. So he just goes through and he lists examples. I want to share a few of them with you. But what does it look like? What, is it, what, are, what are examples of, of a parent that it would exasperate, that would provoke, that would embitter their child to lose heart? Listen to these. It would be like the, the proud parent who never admits they're wrong. That never admits they're wrong. The authoritarian parent who is overly controlling and harsh. The, guess what the rules are today, parent? Who, who allows no consistency. The, the child never knows what to expect for discipline. They never know. They never know what the rules are. They change every day according to the parent's mood. It, or what about the must-be-perfect parent? Anything short of perfection is unacceptable. The why-can't-you-be-like-your-brother parent. I, man, if you were just like him. He just did such a good job at this. Oh, your older sister, boy, she never gave us these problems. What about the I'm living my childhood dreams through you parent? Man, I wanted to be a standout soccer player and I couldn't, so you're going to be. And you may not sit down and have that conversation, but you send them and take them and force them into this to where they hate it. I wasn't valedictorian, but you're going to be top of your class and you're going to full ride. The preoccupied parent who's too busy to be a parent. It's the dad who's so consumed with work and business and getting things done that he can't take the time to sit down and disciple and teach and instruct. It's so busy that they can't take the time to really discipline in an instructive way. They just hash out punishment and move on. How do you exasperate your child? Those are some examples. John Newton said this. He says, I know that my father loved me, but he did not seem to wish me to see it. John Newton, the great hymn writer. 
dads, men. We never, never hear those words from our sons. We never hear those words from our sons. Ephesians, if you want to flip over to Ephesians quickly in chapter 6, it's, it's a parallel passage. If, if you take Colossians 3.18 through Colossians 4.1, if you read that, if you'll read Ephesians 5.22 through 6.4, those are parallel passages. Paul gives a little more depth of instruction in Ephesians. So where he says women submit, men love, in Colossians, he gives a lot of 11 verses of instruction on what does that look like. Okay? It's the same thing with, with, with children and parents. Look at verse 4. He says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. It's a positive parallel there. It's a, it's a positive aspect. So, so Colossians, Paul just simply says, do not exasperate them so they don't lose heart. If you exasperate them, if you provoke them, if you embitter them, they will lose heart. Don't do that. But in Ephesians, he says, listen, bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord the godly father seeks to teach the gospel, to instruct them in the ways and the works of God. Man, that's what we're to do. If we want to be a godly father, if we want to fulfill God's call on our life, then we instruct them, we teach them in the Lord. Bring them up in that. That, that we don't cast that, you must be perfect. We let them know that, you know what? God calls us to perfection, but you're never going to attain it. You're never going to attain it. You know why? Because you're sinful. And you need the gospel. That's the hope we have in Christ. Do you see that? Do you see it? Oh, I want you to come to Christ. That's the godly father. It teaches the gospel through discipline, through failure. It's the father who makes the mistake, loses his temper, and sits down and looks at his daughter or son and says, I am so sorry. Daddy sinned in his anger and completely abused Ephesians 4. Is sin between me and God. I should not have done that. I should not have spoken that way to you. Will you forgive me? And Junior, the reason that's important is because I want you to know that Daddy's not perfect, but God is perfect. God is perfect. And I want you to know that, and I want you to look to Him. And when you see Daddy's imperfections, I want you to look to Him and, and see... God's perfection. That's the godly father who instructs and trains them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Teach them about mercy, Dad. Teach them about grace. Teach them about forgiveness. Teach them about love. Not just by word. Do it through example. Teach them. Don't provoke them. Teach them. Instruct them. Bring them up in the Lord. There's two things we need to know, just in conclusion. Fathers, if, if we're going to do this, if we're going to be the men that God's called us to be, then it'll demand that we balance 320 and 321, the, the instructions in those two verses we looked at this morning. Is that if we only focus on the call for children to obey, then it leads us down the path of being very harsh and demanding. And, and the only thing we focus on is their obedience. If we only focus on not, not exasperating them, not to provoke them. Oh, we don't want to do anything to hurt their feelings. We don't do anything. Oh, we don't want to make them mad. Oh, oh, well, just keep them happy and whatever they want. 
then we raise out of control irresponsible spoiled children so parents fathers if we're going to be ones that are God honoring God glorifying parents then we have to balance these two things the second thing to be noted is that I've already made reference to it but man it's time to stand up it's time to quit being passive it's time to lead and not lead by hey you guys go ahead go that's what you need to do that's good proud of you but it's, it's leading by saying come on come with me we don't lead teams to Peru by saying hey y'all go on take care hope it goes well we lead teams to Peru by going and taking them walking through customs getting them through every step of the way red light green light whichever one they get standing there they get through and then taking them through the valley leading them up this is what you're going to expect all those things we lead them it's the same way at home if we're going to be men of God we have to lead we have to lead so men stand up be men be men in a few weeks two weeks on the 18th we're going to have something called the Grace Family Summit and you saw Pastor Bill's article a few weeks ago maybe two weeks ago I think it was talking about when you hear family at Grace it's not just talking about the physical biological family the Meadows family and we have the family picnic Grace Family picnic at the Huffman's at July 4th it's not just for my family if you're a single you can't go We are a part of the family. Why is that important? Because there are young men and young women sitting in this room who do not have biological father in place. So senior adult men, been there, done that, good. Help someone else. Titus 2. Titus 2. Come alongside the single mother. Be the family of God. Show the young men what it looks like to be a man of God. Show me. Show me. I want to see it. All, all the young men sitting here that are, are, have young families, we want to see it. We want to see you being and showing us how to be a godly father. Show us. Let's pray. Father, we stand before you today as sinners. God, I know, and I think I, think I know, I'm sure that every man in this room is, is much like me. He sees faults. He sees areas that he struggles with, or he's dropped the ball. I do too. I see things that nobody else sees, and I struggle with them, and I'm frustrated. So God, we as men this morning ask you to remind us that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And we repent of any passivity we've shown. We repent of any times that we have exasperated and provoked and embittered our children. God, we want to bring them up in instruction in the discipline of the Lord. We want to show them the gospel. We want to lead our families we want to protect them. 
God, we want to provide for them. So God, we as men at Grace Baptist Church, we are going to stand up and lead. We are going to teach our children and instruct them. God, help us to do that. God, when we're fearful, remind us of Isaiah 43, that you are with us. God, when we're intimidated and we don't know what to do, a decision is in front of us as a family, God, guide us. Lead us step by step, knowing that you are with us and that you lead us and guide us and direct us by your word. God, mold our families into the families you've called us to be. That we would bring glory and honor and praise to your name through our households and through our church and in so doing we would see our culture changed and impacted by our families it's in the name of Christ we pray Amen